So, so here's a question, and maybe with this being the beginning of the new year, it's really relevant to you. Have you ever bought exercise equipment, you know, like a treadmill or elliptical, and you were so pumped to start exercising, and then you realize six months later, a year later, maybe five years later, it has been your best coat rack, or your clothes drying rack, or it's become a jungle gym for your kids. You bought it new, and it's still almost new. It's just gently used, and man, you don't use it at all, to which some of you who are thinking about buying exercise equipment, you should not buy anything new in that area right now, because you can go online and you can look up consumer grade fitness equipment that's used and find stuff that's practically brand new. You just have to buy it. Someone just had to wipe the cobwebs off and the kids fingerprints and put it online and you can buy it for half the cost of its original purchase price. Now here's what we know about the people that bought that equipment like me because I have an elliptical brand new online or at a store. When they bought it, they believed, right? They believed in fitness, they believed in exercise, they believed in cardiovascular care and their health. And when it comes to exercise, we believe, you believe, I believe, they believe, right? The challenge with most of us, not all of us, but most of us is people don't act on what they believe. I mean, they believe in health and nutrition and exercise, but they don't act on it and do it. And you know this, when it comes to exercise, believing makes all the difference. Actually, that's not true. That's just what we think, isn't it? Truth is, doing makes all the difference. And we'd say that. We'd say doing makes all the difference, not believing. And you can believe in it with all your heart, but until you step on the treadmill, start eating right, nothing changes, right? So here's a question for you when it comes to exercise, because it's on all of our minds. Um, Have you ever exercised with a bad attitude? I mean, literally, have you ever started working out and you're ticked and you're mumbling to yourself that you don't want to do it and you're angry, but you did it anyway? Let me ask you a question around that. Was it still good for you? Did you still get in a little bit better shape even though you weren't happy about it? When I was in college and I was wrestling, one of the things the wrestling guys hated to do was to run, especially the bigger guys like I was. I wrestled 190 pounds. We hated to run, and so we tried to make these deals with our coach. Hey, coach, we'll wrestle twice as much. We'll do pull-ups and push-ups as much as you want, but just please, please, please don't make us run. And the answer was always the same. No, gentlemen. Start hitting the road, you've got to run. Because he knew, and what we came to find out is even when we hated to run, when we actually got to the wrestling tournament or the wrestling match, running made all the difference because it got you in better shape, even though we hate it. Now, it's true in every area of life, especially with exercise, is that having a partner makes a big difference as well. Isn't it true? Because when you don't have a partner and it's just you, it is easy to talk yourself out of exercise. It is easy to push it off to tomorrow. It is easy not to show up. That's why some of you already in January, you've hired a trainer. You've got a partner to exercise. You've joined some kind of fitness class or Zoom class or yoga something with other people. So they text you, hey, you coming today? Hey, you coming today? Because when nobody's waiting at the gym for you, you can just go, we'll do it tomorrow. It's all good and you can bail. It's maybe why, and I did both these kind of sports, team sports is easier to dive into and stay with than individual sports because you got a team counting on you. And this is true as well. That accountability counts every time. Accountability in our exercise world changes everything. Now you may be know you may know what I'm um, leading up to with this. This is true in the exercise world, the work world, but it's also true in our faith world, in our journey as a Christian, or in our just journey as trying to figure out if we want to be 
Christians. Because this is what we know. Every Christian, every Christian believes some basic things like other Christians. We believe what Jesus taught or what he did. Almost all Christians believe that Jesus rose from the dead if they're really a Christian. It's a central belief. So we believe the challenges for all of us that believers don't always act on what they believe, do they? And you know this, when it comes to forgive, it's hard to forgive. And if it's just you and I alone, we can be tempted not to forgive people. Or when it comes to loving our enemies, boy, it's hard to do that when we, like, when we think, they're so wrong, they're so wrong. And maybe you felt that this week. You've turned on the TV and you went, they're so wrong. Or maybe four months ago, you went, they're so wrong. How can I love them? Maybe on a more practical thing, think about this, when it comes to baptism, there is nothing more clear in the scripture, in Jesus' teachings, that when you follow him, you should be baptized. Yet so many people, as clear as it is, don't choose to be baptized because we can just kind of push it off and not act on what we believe. Generosity, Jesus taught about generosity all the time. It was one of his main themes. Yet the local church is typically supported by about 20% of its attenders. At Lifehouse, we're supported by 25% of our attenders, so we're way ahead of most. But still, think about that. 75% of us don't do what Jesus asked us to do, what we, but we believe in Jesus. Putting others first, I'll be kind to people that I don't like. I mean, this is the thing that's so hard for us to do besides just believe. Now, here's what's so cool about this. When it comes to this idea, when we started this church years ago, we decided we didn't just want to invite people to believe, but we wanted them to believe, but not just believe. We wanted them to believe and follow. And follow just simply means to do the things that Jesus asked, to do the things that Jesus did for people, because this is what changes us, and this is what changes us our world. And what we have discovered is this is so incredibly hard to do in isolation. It's just like working out. If I don't have anybody to be accountable to or pushing me or encouraging me, I just can put it off a day, a week, a year, a lifetime. And our team pushes us to be better. Now, interestingly enough, the Apostle Paul, who we talk about this all the time, started out hating Christians, and then he ran into Jesus and his love and his forgiveness and his redemption power. He decided to follow Jesus and plant churches all over the Mediterranean rim. He led so many people to the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And then he wrote all these letters to all these little churches in the world. And then there, and as you read through that, you realize there's like a one another list that Paul puts together. The thing that we're supposed to do for one another as far as being in community and in partnership with one another. Look what the Apostle Paul writes. And this is a compilation of some of his work. The one another list. How about forgive one another and accept one another, care for one another, and encourage one another. Just, just those four things. I want you to think about this. This week, when our world has been in so much turmoil and so much pain, what if the Christians just did these four things? What if we just stepped out ahead of everybody else and decided we're going to forgive and love and care for one another? Would our world not be different? Would your world not be different? My world? And I don't mean just the big world. My own little part of the pie, the one another list goes on. He, he talks about submit to one another and restore one another. That simply means when someone's broken, when somebody stumbles, when somebody falls, don't look to condemn them and just come down on them and crush them. Bring them back to life through Jesus' name. 
or carry one another's burden or bear one another and what they're facing in their life. Let me ask you this for you. And this has been a question for me. Is that what your life and my life has looked like over the past week, in the past year, past four years? Because when we do this, we're just better and our world is better. See, here's the challenge when a lot of us think about being a Christian. We think about going to church, which I love when people come to our church. Now, here's the secret that you guys already know. No one's coming to church physically right now. So we're all meeting online. So coming or going to a church building is impossible right now anyway. But we think about that. I'm a Christian. I'd be a good Christian. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read my Bible. And that is so important. And I read the scriptures every day. I'm going to pray. And prayer and talking to God is so important. And those are super good And that brings us close to God. But here's what we've discovered. Here's what we know. And here's what guys like the Apostle Paul have been talking about for 2,000 years. Is that it? That's vertical spirituality. Now, here's the danger of this conversation. Is when we talk about vertical spirituality, you might think, hey, is that bad, Matt? And I would say, no, this is as important as anything in our lives. To be close to Jesus. To know him personally. To talk to him and lean on him every day. And to have a real relationship with him. The challenge for some of us, for me certainly, was growing up, being a Christian meant I got to be good, I've got to be moral, and I got to give my money to church. And if I did that, and I was on a good track, and you know, I didn't drink, and I didn't smoke, and I didn't cuss, then I was a follower of Jesus. And those aren't all bad things, certainly, but think about it. When we live only in that mode, it sets us up for such deep self-righteousness Like everybody else in the world is wrong and I'm right. Have we seen a little bit of that in our world from people that believe and people that don't? It sets us up for legalism and racism and judgmentalism and God is going to get them-ism. You ever prayed that prayer? God, just go get them. Just go get them. And the truth is, is that is an old covenant attitude that has followed us into the New Testament. Like, God, they're bad and I'm good, now go get them. And Jesus came to say, no, 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 you're all messed up. And I've come for all of you. And there is nothing in the New Testament that speaks to that. And so what do we do? What do we do if this is what we struggle with, with always being, hey, it's just about me and God and me being good, and I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying, which are super good things, don't get me wrong, but leads us into more legalism. This is where the letter to the Hebrews in our New Testament, we call it the book of Hebrews, but it's not a book, it's more of a letter, comes to our rescue. See, this little letter was written to some Jewish people that had become Jesus followers, which meant that old covenant in their lives, which was so crystal clear, we don't kind of understand it like they understood it. All of a sudden, they have jumped into this new Jesus covenant where access to God comes through their Savior, But there's so much more. Look at what right in the middle of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, just pause there for a minute, all that means is now we have access to God, like a personal relationship access to God. It's amazing. It goes on by... 
a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And that's just an Old Testament tef, um, temple reference that to get to the place that God dwelt, you had to go through the super big, super thick, heavy curtain. It's like that has been ripped away. Now we come to God through Jesus as our Savior, and everything is different now. That's all that means. He goes on, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, talking about Jesus, let us draw near to God. You know what that let us draw near to God means? Be close to God. Look up. Hold on. Be close in your personal relationship and your access to God. Pray. Read the scriptures. Think about God. Dwell about God. Praise God. Sing to God. All of those things. Draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance of faith. That brings goes on. He goes, let us hold unswervingly. Now just pause there for a minute. So now we have this vertical relationship with God that's so clear and so important in our lives. I need to spend time looking up. I need to spend time talking to God and loving God because I have access to God. But somehow the writer of Hebrews knows that Christians, Jesus followers, might get stuck just looking up all the time and thinking about how good they should be and how much they need. But he recalls, hey, you got to remember, you're still back on earth. And you're living with people, and you need the people around us. And you need to be faithful to what God's called you to be, but live it out. Now, back to the scripture. He says, in light of that, let us hold unswervingly. Isn't that a great word? We don't use that word very much, but it just means hang on and don't move to the left or move to the right to what I'm about to say. To the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. In other words... You hold on, and God will come through. You hold on unswervingly, and God will be faithful. Now, just a side note, not even really part of the message today. For some of you, you're like, man, is this all going to work out? Are we going to survive this? Is the whole world just going to fall apart? And I think the writer of Hebrews would smile at you with a whole lot of love and empathy and understanding. and goes, listen, you hold on unswervingly, and God's going to be faithful. To you, to the people you love, and the people you don't love, and the whole world. But let's live this Jesus principle out. And then he goes on. He says, and let us consider. Which is an incredible transition. Hey, Hebrew writer, consider what? And he answers, let us consider how we may spur one another on. And I love this phrase, spur one another on. Do you know what spur one another on is? It means someone has access to your life that can say, hey, listen, you're going in a path that's dangerous. You're going in a path that might blow your life up. It just doesn't mean, hey, I'm going to attend church. It means you do relationships with people that are part of the church. And I don't mean like on a scale of 100 or 500 people. I mean a couple people that have access to you. So when someone sees you drifting, they can call you out. Or you see someone that's about ready to blow up their marriage, that you have access to their life, where you can say, whoa, 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 before you do this, and before you lean into your greatest regret, can I just say that that is a tough direction that you're going to regret in your life? It means someone might have access to your teenage kids, like when they see your kids falling apart and you can't talk to your kids, that a friend that's a trusted friend that loves God would sit down and have lunch with your son and speak into his life before he harms himself or does harm to his reputation or his own life. It's access. It means that people might look at you and say things to you that you don't like. 
and you don't even agree with, but you need to hear them because you know when you're most turned upside down in your life, we don't listen very well. I don't listen very well. It's the difference between transparency and vulnerability in the world we're living in right now. And I think I want to talk about this more in the future, but let me just give you an idea between transparency and vulnerability. See, transparency is a real popular thing in our world right now. You may have said this or heard someone say this. I've said it. I'm just being transparent. I'm just being transparent with you, how I feel, what I think, and then what we do, and I do this too, just ask my family, we vomit everything on the inside out. And we just start spilling everything we think and all our feelings and all of our pain and all of our criticism and our anger. And, just bleh, and then we say, we're just being transparent. Here's what's unique about the world we're in now. We have platforms to do this on where you may not have any reputation or respect or being, have any insight that you've earned, but you can get on a platform in our world, on a social media platform, and just be transparent and just vomit everything all over the place. And right now, that's what a whole lot of people are doing. That's transparency. Let me tell you about vulnerability. Vulnerability is when you let a couple people into your life and you let them see what's really going on inside of you. And you say, this is my struggle, this is my pain, this is where I'm suffering, this is what's hard. But the vulnerability part is when you say, okay, I'm going to be vulnerable enough for you to speak into my life about this. Do you see something in my pain and my anger and my desires and the direction I'm going that maybe not healthy? I, as much as I don't want to hear it, I'm going to be vulnerable enough to hear you say it to me. I am convinced right now we need less transparency and a whole lot more vulnerability. We'll talk more about that in the future. The writer of Hebrews says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. You know what this is? This is belief in action. This is I believe in Jesus, but now I'm going to actually get on the treadmill and do the exercise. And this is where Paul would say doing makes all the difference. And this is this place when you decide, I won't forgive, I won't love. Someone comes and they just say, listen, I'm spurring you on. I'm cheering you on. I'm loving you in your mess, but I'm also asking you to step into what is good and right and holy in our world. And in your world. And in the kingdom of God. It's amazing. Now the writer of Hebrews at this point kind of gets all up in our business and he calls all of us out. He says, not giving up on meeting together, which we would say, we can't meet together anyway right now. But that's really not what he's talking about. Because in this day and age, he wasn't talking about, hey, let's, let's get you know, 500 people together with a hopefully a, a engaging communicator and a great band. That's not what he was talking about. The meeting together was connecting with a few people that could lean into your life and speak into your life, not just sit in a row and hear a message. So he says, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And again, this is where preachers like me and pastors like me have taken this um, verse completely out of context. And we're like, you got to show up to church. You got to show up to church, right? And that was never what it was meant to be. As much as I love church and I cannot wait for us all be, to be together again, that was not the point. He says, you can't stop, afford to stop meeting together because without community, some people around you that know what's really going on, you are at a deficit. This is why people say to me all the time, I just don't need church. I don't need church. Well, that may be true in the sense of a big building, although I think it's good to be here when we get back in place. But you do need people around you. Because when you don't have it, what happens is we drift and we slip 
and we fall away. And here's the thing, and you know this, church is just not a feeling. I mean, I love the feeling I get when I'm with all of you and that things happen and as we're together, even when we're online or especially when we're online. But it's not a feeling. What we've got to understand, and it's all throughout the New Testament for those of us that are Jesus followers, is that there is a divinely designed correlation between community with some people and faithfulness. That rows are good, and we got rows, and maybe you got rows online, but you're sitting by yourself, and that's okay. We, that's how it is right now. But some kind of circle is way better. And a digital circle is better than no circle. And without people speaking into our lives and us speaking to other people's lives, we drift. And this is why people leave the church and drift off and never come back to church ever because they don't have other people to pull them back in. This is why people leave our church, go to another church, come back to our church, go to another church, because they don't have people to say, listen, it's not about how entertained you are or how you're, you know, you're tickled, you're fancy throughout a service. This is about doing life with people. Don't fall away. And here's what I am convinced. We are in a season right now that we need community more than ever. It is such an interesting thing that when Jesus was coming to the end of his life, he was sitting with his guys, having their last supper. And in that time span, Philip says, Jesus, show us the Father. Show us the Father. Like, pull back the curtain of heaven and show us the Father. And, you know, Jesus just must have smiled. And I love this story. Smiled at Peter, uh, Philip and go, oh, Philip, my man, my buddy, my boy, my follower. Don't you know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? amazing and then he died and rose again and Philip and the rest of those guys they believed and they followed now what's interesting about that is before that whole interaction Jesus talked about to his guys and then Paul accentuates it that listen you as followers of Jesus are the body of Christ it's an overwhelming thought that when we come together and we love and forgive and serve and lift up like Jesus together, not individually, but together, we are the body of Christ. The implication is we are as close as we get to our Father in heaven when we're together. When we're together, that's the best picture. And doing this right, not being, you know, judgmental or mean or I'm better than you that's not the right way to do this but loving and forgiving and lifting up when we're doing that together we're as close to God physically as we can get it's when we're at our best and that's not just when we're together by the hundreds not to even when we're together by the tens but when we're together in a group of ten or a group of two or a group of five and Jesus would say in other places, when you treat people well and love people that way, it's literally like you're treating me and my body that way. But we have a propensity to lean towards isolation. And when I'm isolated, when I'm going alone, I can drift. And my biggest regret for me is when I've drifted away from God and his people. Simply said, faith comes alive in community. It just does. It just does. Listen, this is where I get together with other people and I'm challenged to love them. I'm challenged consistently with you know, people that I'm trying to understand and they're understanding me how I can pray for them. 
And this is what keeps me from being self-centered because I can be the most self-centered person in the world. I'm first in that line. Being with people helps me understand that. It keeps me focused on bigger and better things, not just me. It keeps me from being short-sighted. And the worst of me gets pushed to the back and the best of me gets brought out because I'm with God's people. And if you're not a Christian, you just ought to try hanging out with some great Christians and see if we really are who we say we are. Because some of the people that represent Christianity in our world that you're paying attention to, I'm not sure that's the best representation of Jesus you could get your hands on right now. And if you've been around some Christians, and I just got to acknowledge this, that feel so judgmental and like they're better than you and they, they got it all figured out and your side's all wrong, just know that the people who think they're better than other people haven't taken the time to hear the stories of the people they think they're better than. And if there's anything in you, and if there's anything in me that thinks that I'm better than somebody else in my neighborhood, in my town, in our country, in Washington, D.C., or around the world, most likely it's because I have not sat with them enough. And if you find yourself in a place where you're so mad and you're so angry, just know that Jesus decided to come and sit with you when he had every right to be angry at you. Can you imagine in the first century church when a Jewish person who became a Christian would sit at the same table with a Roman soldier who became a Christian and just possibly that Roman soldier was the person that killed that Jewish person's dad or grandpa or wife or husband or even their child. Can you imagine? But they would sit around the table as Jesus, as their redeemer and their forgiver and their hope. And the center of them would be Jesus. And it changed the world. And it changed them. And it restored who they were. This is the gospel. The challenge with that is to hang on to that. We need other people to spur us on. That's why we're told, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Don't do that. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, you need to meet with some people. You need to know some people consistently because it's hard and this Jesus thing is not easy and God gives us his strength and his spirit and then he gives us other people to push us towards where we need to be, to encourage one another. And, and you know when it says to encourage, this is simply what it means. To encourage is to instill courage in someone. Because our faith, while it's you know, so simple and it's so free to be forgiven and be a follower of Jesus, it's not easy to live it out. To live out faith at home or faith at your job or faith on your social media and to love and be selfless. It takes courage. And we need people to give us courage and encourage us. This has never, never, never been about come to a big room. And I'll just say this. I love our big room. And I can't wait till we're all back together. But this has never been about a big room where you like, you know, one of the three songs and the one song you can't wait to sing with the other two you wish we'd get past and you just wish I'd talk about certain things and be more funny than you would like to come here more. It's never been about this. It's been about us being together and being vulnerable. 
and letting other people speak into our lives. And, and you know this. You miss the lobby time before and after our services. So do I. But having a five-minute conversation in a church lobby does not compare, does not compare to sitting around a table in your home and really sharing what's going on in your life. And just to go back and make sure we've got all this, let me just read it to you again. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we've professed for he who promised is faithful. Hold on because God's going to be faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. God's got his role and that's to be faithful. Our role is to hang on and care for each other. Not giving up on meeting together. We cannot refuse to do that as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And we're in a season where our world is just in a mess. And not just the big world, not just the country world, but maybe our just little world in Van Wert, Ohio, or wherever you are in Northwest Ohio. And in the middle of the mess, we need each other. So let me ask you a question that I think is so relevant right now. Is anyone outside of family spurring you on to live out your faith? Is anyone spurring you on, encouraging you? Does anyone outside family, maybe family doesn't either, have the, have the approval and the invitation to challenge you? Is there anyone there for you when you hit your hardest moments and life just swide swipes you for someone to stand with you? Are you prepared when you're crushed by something? Are you prepared to be there for somebody else when they're crushed? And listen, you may say, well, I got my wife, I got my wife, and I got my dad, and I got my brother, and I got my buddy from high school. But what if that's a really small little world? And what if your world just needs to open up just a little bit more and invite a few other trusted people in? Ask you another question. Have you given up on meeting together? Or have you ever met together? Have you given up on it? I mean, I know you may have had some bad experiences being in community. But again, church is not about singing three songs and hearing a message. As much as we love helping you with that, that's not what this is about. Have you given up on it? Or have you never tried it? And let me just speak to the men, hopefully, that are paying attention right now. Men, I think we need this more than the women do. And women, you need it too. I know you need it. But men, listen to another man. This is what's hardest for us to jump into. This is what's hardest for us, not just to be transparent, but vulnerable with other people. And we need it. You need it in any way you can in your life. And I would be thrilled if you just found any kind of community, some other people that you consistently leaned into. But I do want to tell you this, is that community group is where you will be challenged to act on what you believe in our church. We call them community groups. And it's a place where somebody's going to come together with you and we're going to act on what we believe. And we're going to fight self-righteousness. And we're going to learn to love better in these small groups that we do at church. And love like Jesus. Now here's the challenge is you go, man, that sounds like a lot and it's intimidating. But I think this is an opportunity for us to circle up and gather. And so we're launching community groups. And you may have heard us talk about this before. We're launching brand new community groups in February. And for us, a group, which is a structured group, which I think most of us need structure, and you may say, listen, I don't need a church to put a group together for me. That may be true, but for most of you, you're not in a group because you don't have structure for it. And so the way we structure small groups in our church is we have 8 to 12 people, sometimes less, usually not more, 
gather throughout the month. And sometimes it's twice a month or three times. Some people are so crazy for their group, they meet every week. And we have men's groups and women's groups and married couple groups. And these groups come together. And here's what happens in the group. It's so much fun. I love doing this with my group. We come together and we usually eat. Sometimes my group eats way too much. And we laugh and we pray and we study God's word just a little bit. Sometimes we talk about the message or read a book or do a study. You get to choose in your group what you want to do. And then we pray for each other. And then we hang out. And we try and figure out how to do life together. But the best part of any group is when we lean into each other's lives and find out what really is going on and then encourage each other to be like Jesus. Because we say this all the time, that Jesus makes you better at life and he makes your life better. And we spur one another on to do that. And you need to know, if you would consider signing up for a group, we're going to put people in groups and just ask you to meet for the rest of the year, which will be about 10, 11 months, which is not a long time ago at all. We decided to shorten that up a little bit just to make it easier. So my friends, if you would even consider, think about, inquire about being in a group, here's the easiest way to do it. And this is what we do a lot these days because we're trying to connect with you digitally. You can text the word connect to the, the number we keep coming back to. D- David Barco, our student director, he said this, I don't know where we came up with 21,000, but that is our number. So it is our number. So you can text connect to 21,000 and you'll fill out just a really little form and we'll help you figure out how to get in the best group you can. And if you're just ready to go, we'll, we'll get you in a group. If you have questions, you can ask us questions, and we will work through it together. And, man, I think your chances of being in a better place because of a group is about 100% sure. It's not 100% sure the group's going to be perfect for you, but it's way better than doing nothing. Here's the cool thing about our groups. We'll put you in a group, and you get to hang out in that group for about a month. And you can decide, hey, is this group right for me? Does it feel right? Does it feel good? And if you decide it doesn't, you can pull the ripcord and leave that group. No questions asked. We just want you to give it a try. And here's something you may be thinking. Um, you're listening to this whole thing, and it may have occurred to you, listen, I want to be in a group, but I think I could lead a group. And if you're a leader in anything you do, we would love for you to ask us, hey, how about me as a leader? And you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to know anything. You just got to be willing to lead and help people in their relationship with Jesus in the context of a very small group. And I would just say this. If you decide to lead a group, you're going to be helping other people. You're going to be on mission. You're going to be doing some of the most important work in the kingdom of God. But you're also going to benefit it yourself because you're going to grow in your faith like just about never before. I would love I would love, love, love for you to find a group to be a part of. And I would love to help you. Now, if you would say to me, hey, Matt, I got five guys or got five women or some married couples we're meeting with. Right now, you just do it. You just stay in that group. You just keep plugging along. But if you're not in community, if you don't have someone to spur you on, just go back to the slide if you can put it back on. The easiest thing you can do is text CONNECT to 21000, and we will help you get to where you need to be. So come on. Let's sign up. Let's investigate. Let's take a shot at being the people God has called us to. Because right now, we need encouragement and accountability and to be challenged in our faith. Let me pray for you. Lord, it's really hard for me to figure out how I don't need people when I read your scripture, when I read the word of God, when I read Hebrews. And for me and everybody that's paying attention today, 
that's listening, I would pray that we would just be pushed and nudged and loved into thinking about doing life with other people. I pray for the people that this terrifies, that makes it feel a little awkward or scared, Lord, that you would give them the courage to lean into this, sign up or ask questions and take a step. Lord, thank you that we have access to you, but I also thank you that you are calling us to have access to other people in our lives that we can grow in our faith. Thanks for your immense love. And Lord, help the things that are hard in our world and help our country, but help us to be different so we personally and corporately can make a difference. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.